we had people trying to turn over our car. We had bodyguards everywhere we went because there were, you know, uh, people who were against what we were doing. And uh, so it just became an adventure. So uh, we made a lifestyle out of it. We we traveled and we sang and we preached. We did children's ministry. Uh, we just did all kinds of things everywhere we could go. And what we found was when you get outside the four walls of the church, you find hurting, needy people who need to hear about Jesus. Mm. And that is my heart cry. That's what I love to do. Tell people about Jesus. You got to live it. You got to love it. Testimony goes on and on and on. It's magnetic. It's prophetic. It's got stories being told. Welcome back to the Jesus Magnet Podcast. I'm your host, Joel. And today we have Rick with us all the way from the United States. And he has got a amazing story. I'm going to give you a little snip of his story. He was raised in a pastor's house. He became a Christian as a child. Um, and right at the young age of 13 years old, he encountered Jesus. He also encountered Christians that were passionate about Jesus, it changed his life, and he has been leading ministry for 50 plus years, taking the gospel to China, to Tibet, to Mexico, to India, to Canada, and 48 of the United States. Um, And the biggest highlight that he's written in is his ministry, which took him to walk 2,770 miles across America, sharing his faith and to pray for his nation. What an absolute privilege, Rick, it is to have you on the show, have you on the Jesus Magnet. I am stoked to hear this story in depth. So how are you, Rick? I'm great. I'm great and so glad to be here, Joel. Oh, it's I'm excited. This is a, a going to be a fun episode, I can tell. I love uh, catching up with sort of the veteran ministry uh, workers because they've done so much for Christ. And every time that I talk to people that have been in ministry for, you know, 40, 50 years, I always go, man, I can do more. And you get on fire and you get ready and you just... Keen to go, keen to go hard, and it's just awesome. <laughs> very, very cool. Exactly. So, Rick, do you want to walk us through um, sort of life growing up at the beginning and how you were raised in a pastor's house? Because um, that can be uh, a, a tricky one because you you see God moving all the time with pastor parents and live and breathe church, and sometimes uh, pastor kids don't feel that they've had that encounter with Jesus Christ um, and because they've lived and breathed church from zero years old all the way into their teenage years did you have that or did you experience Christ at a, at a really young age um, before you were 13? Yeah I I believe that um, everything you just said Joel is, is true. Um, you have a tendency I think to become numb uh, to Jesus uh, to the gospel uh, because What's happening is you're hearing it day in and day out. My mom and dad were wonderful, wonderful Christian people who loved Jesus with all their heart. And they literally talked about Jesus all day long. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it was just, it was Jesus, 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 Jesus. And of course, I grew up loving Jesus and appreciating what Jesus did for us on the cross. And um, so at a young age, I acknowledged that I was a sinner and that I needed forgiveness and that I needed Jesus in my life. And I invited him to be a part of my life and made, I think, the best decision that a young child can make. But I hadn't been out in the world. I hadn't done a lot of things. Um, You know, I, Mm. I hadn't murdered anybody or robbed anybody or anything like that. And so I think when that happens, um, we don't get a a complete and total uh, revelation of what Jesus has really done in our life. Um, And so when I was 13 and I had this uh, experience of encountering some young people from Texas, actually, uh, who loved Jesus, who talked about him all the time, who when they talked about him, they lit up and, you know, they just had this joy and this excitement in their life. And I didn't have that. Uh, It wasn't that I didn't believe or that I I didn't love Jesus. It was just that I I wasn't passionate. I think I was probably a a very normal, nominal Christian uh, Mm. who went to church uh, who occasionally read his Bible, uh, who prayed when I was in trouble. Uh, I used to negotiate with God when I was uh, a child. Uh, when I was growing up, I've always been a little on the chubby side. So when I was growing up, we didn't. I'm we still didn't on the chubby side. Fat. 
Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I still am. Uh, we didn't call it fat back then. We called it being husky. And so <laughs> I was always husky, but I wanted to be thin like my friends. And I would negotiate with God when I remember when I was eight or nine years old. And I would tell God if he would just let me be skinny, that I would do whatever he wanted me to do. Um, well, I still came to the place of doing what he wanted me to do, but he never made me skinny. So, uh, that was, it, it wasn't a very good deal on my end. I, I, I still gave my life to him, but anyway, but when I was 13, I met this group and I just, all of a sudden, everything was different. I, I recognized that there had to be something more, something deeper in my relationship with Christ. And so at 13, as best I knew how I still hadn't murdered anybody or robbed anybody or done anything horribly bad. But it, it wasn't about the sin. It was about the experience of really coming to grips with what Jesus had done for me and, and what he was offering to me in an abundant life. Mm. And that's the life I'd never known before. And so as I gave my life to Christ anew and afresh at 13 years old, my entire life changed. And it's been different ever since then. All of a sudden, I was one of those people who talked about Jesus all the time. I was one of those people witnessing and sharing my faith with my school friends. And uh, I'm the one who wanted to carry my Bible to school and memorize scripture and, and uh, worship God. And so uh, it was just a transforming experience. Yes. And it has lasted now for, uh, let's see, uh, 53, 54 years. Wow. <laughs> it never has worn off. And that's good. That's so awesome. Um, as a 13-year-old, um, and you said that you finally understood kind of what Jesus did for you, I, I've always found that a little bit tricky to understand what Jesus did for me when I was young. Um, what did you? What helped you understand sort of the simplicity of the gospel, I suppose, um, and wrap your head around what Jesus did? Uh, I think for me, um, what happened was it became personal. Uh, up until that point, I think it had been... Uh, kind of theoretical. Uh, I'd learned about Jesus. I, I knew what the Bible said. I knew in theory what Jesus had done. Uh, I understood the cross. I, I was mature for my age. I was always, uh, you know, intelligent. And so I understood it from a mental standpoint. I, I, I knew what was happening. But when I was 13, all of a sudden, all the facts and all the figures and all the the knowledge that I had about Jesus became very personal to me. Uh, it became internalized. It wasn't just something out there. It was something in here. Mm. And that somehow clicked when I was 13. And all of a sudden I realized, hey, it's not just this stuff that's written down in black and white in a book. This, this is a real person, Jesus, who wants to live in me and live through me and make a difference in my life. And when that came to uh, the place where it was real to me, um, it changed me. It, it just transformed me. It was just like somebody reached in and pulled me inside out. Wow. Um, really, it was that drastic for me. That's awesome. That's, that's a really good answer. And the cool thing is, is I've heard a similar experience hundreds of times. So it's not like you made it up yourself but it's an authentic, right. almost like if you think of like a scientific experiment that has to be a repeatable thing um, to be yes. valid, that's what it is. And hundreds and right. thousands and thousands of people, millions of people over the ages have experienced exactly what you're describing. So it's an authentic transformation from the inside out that Jesus comes right. and he just transforms you, brings light yes. in to, into your soul where there was darkness and yeah, mm -hmm. and, and you can almost see it in people's eyes, I find, where they mm -hmm. they just seem to have like a, a brightness coming out of them. And um, yeah, I can definitely see that when, when I'm looking at you now and um, that it hasn't changed uh, since you were young. You've, it's stayed strong. Yeah. Um, so I would love to talk about uh, your 50 years of ministry and how you mentioned that you went to all the different countries. You went to China, Tibet, Mexico, India, and um, of course the United States. Um, what were you doing for ministry in those different countries? Well, I, I, it's an interesting story. Um, in 14, just a year after this experience I had with God, I really felt like God was calling me to preach full-time, to be a pastor, to be a um, a missionary or to be an evangelist to somehow preach for the rest of my life. And so because my dad was a pastor, uh, I got to start preaching right away mm. uh, on Wednesday nights or Sunday nights. He would let me preach. And uh, I, I just 
I fell in love with it. I just, I, there was nothing like it. I would rather preach than anything. And so I began to preach. By the time I went to college, I actually went to college at 16 years old. Uh, by the time I went to college, the summer before I went to college, I preached every night of the summer except for two, for three <sighs> months straight. I was preaching in youth revivals. I was preaching for churches on Sunday morning, and and it had just really uh, taken over my life. So when I went to college, I uh, the second week of my freshman year in college, I was walking uh, back to campus, and uh, I saw a girl sitting on a bench underneath a tree, and she offered me a tangerine lifesaver, <laughs> oh. and uh, I was hooked. And uh, we've been married now for almost fifty years. Wow! But she she went into her dorm that night, and she told her dorm director, "I just met the man I'm going to marry." And her dorm director, of course, tried to calm her down. She said, "Oh, all the freshman girls say that." She said, "No, I just met the man I'm going to marry." And it turns out that at about the same age as I had surrendered my life to preach, she had surrendered her life to be a pastor's wife. And uh, she felt like that was her calling in life is to walk beside a man in ministry all of his life and and work together. And so uh, we dated, we got engaged. And then between our sophomore and junior year in college, we got married. And almost immediately, we started to minister together. Uh, we were both musicians and we would uh, do concerts and we would travel and sing for people and I would preach sometimes. And so we just began that. And then I moved into the pastorate where I was actually pastoring churches. And of course, she was there every step of the way. I always told churches when I interviewed for them, uh, getting the best part of getting me as your pastor is getting my wife. And I really <laughs> believe that uh, she she has proven uh, over a lifetime that she is um, much superior to me spiritually. Uh, she has much more faith and trust than I do most of the time. And so she has been a wonderful partner. And uh, we begin reaching out and, and finding out that there was more than just what was happening in the church. As a matter of fact, what we found was that the way to reach people for Jesus was to get outside of the church mm. uh, because uh most people who are lost, who don't know Jesus, don't come to church, mm. um, and they're and they're not ever going to come to church <laughs> yeah. because they don't understand church. They don't they don't know what goes on inside this this you know very dark building where they can't see in the windows and and it it seems very mysterious to them. And so uh, it's 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 fairly rare that a person who doesn't know Jesus will just walk into a church mm. um, and say, "Well, I'm here because I need." God. Mm. Uh, most of the time, you have to go up to where they are. Mm. And so that's what we began to do. We went to the Navajo Nation, a, a Native American reservation uh, for six summers in a row and worked with children. And uh, both of my daughters uh, became missionaries, uh, one to Tibet, one to China. Wow. And so uh, once they were planted there, we had the opportunity to go and uh, have meetings there and have concerts. The most amazing thing, we gave um, two Christian concerts at Christmas time, two different years in China, in uh, Shandong province in China. Um, and because it was considered a cultural experience uh, for the students at the university, uh, we were allowed to talk about God, to talk about Jesus, uh, to talk about Jesus' birth, to talk about salvation. And it was really quite a neat experience. And uh, while we were on that trip, we also went to India for 10 days. We preached out in the, uh, in the little village they would have to rent generators to have electric for us to preach and sing. Uh, we had people trying to turn over our car. We had bodyguards everywhere we went because there were, you know, uh, people who were against what we were doing. And uh, so it just became an adventure. So uh, we made a lifestyle out of it. We we traveled and we sang and we preached. We did children's ministry. Uh, we just did all kinds of things everywhere we could go. And what we found was when you get outside the four walls of the church, you find hurting, needy people who need to hear about Jesus. Mm. And that is my heart cry. That's what I love to do is tell people about Jesus. That's so good. That is so powerful. Um, what would you say that would be one of the biggest things for different people listening? They're going, you know, I do feel called into missions. And but how do I know that I'm called into missions? Since you are pretty much a missionary family, um, pastor, kid, into missionary all over the world and then also missionary daughters, what is one of the key aspects that you've noticed in each person's life when they're called to ministry that um, sort of authenticates that, um, authenticates? I don't know if that's the right word, 
but um, that you, that you know that that's the the choice that God's telling you. Um, because there's a lot of voices in my head. I have very wacky conversations in my head, but how do I know that it's God's voice that is telling yeah. me to go to China or Mexico or wherever? Yeah, I always tell people every voice you hear in your head isn't God. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, it's a very interesting story how all that happened. My father was a pastor for uh, 55 years, and he began praying as a young man, Lord, let me be a missionary. Mm. Let me go overseas and be a missionary. It never happened. So when the three of us kids began to grow up, he began to change his prayer. And he said, God, if I can't go as a missionary, would you send my kids as a missionary? And so that didn't happen right away. And so uh, when we had children of our own, he began changing the prayer again. God, if I can't go and my kids can't go, would you please send my grandson, grandson and granddaughters to go? Mm. And that prayer got answered. And I believe it was a three generation prayer later on. Uh, it kind of melted back into uh, my wife and I's life. But uh, my dad prayed for that. And uh, when we felt the need to go overseas, when my daughters both felt the need to go overseas, it was a, uh, it was a, a voice. It was a experience uh, that was captivating. It was one that you couldn't let go. I always tell people, if you're trying to discern God's will and you want to make sure it's him, uh, if you are living for Christ and if you are spending time with him every day. One, you get to know his voice. Mm. And a lot of people get confused because they don't recognize his voice. And uh, I have a little video that I show folks about uh, shepherding. And uh, a shepherd, and you, you probably are familiar with this. Mm. Um, Lots of sheep in New, New Zealand. Zealand. Yeah, heaps. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, the shepherd will go out and call the sheep and the sheep will come. Somebody else can do the same call and they won't come because they don't recognize the voice. And so the more time you spend with God, the more you recognize his voice. But the uh, the second ingredient to me to, is that when I'm really living for God and I'm really seeking his will, his will will become stronger and stronger and stronger. And my will will get weaker and weaker and weaker. Mm. And so uh, if I sense um, that God is calling me to do something, what I generally do is I step up my prayer time. Uh, I step up my Bible reading. I, I maybe fast for a few days uh, because if I'm really seeking God, his His voice will get louder and his will will become clearer, clearer, clearer. But if it's something that fades away while I'm reading more and while I'm praying more and while I'm fasting, if it fades away during that time, then I know it wasn't God. Uh, so those things work for me. Uh, ultimately, you have to ask yourself, uh, would would God call me to do this? Or is this something that the enemy would want me to do? And uh, it's hard to imagine the enemy calling people to go overseas and tell people about Jesus. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> you know, it, it, it has to it has to line up. You know, God's word is the final authority. Yeah. It's the final authority. So it has to match up with his word. Mm. Uh, and if it matches up with the Great Commission, then I, I have great confidence that it's God's will. And, uh, and I also have confidence that he can stop me if it's wrong. You know, mm. I always pray, God, don't just open doors, but close them, but close them too. Mm. And, uh, that just seems to work very well. Yeah. Oh, that's so good. That's, that's quite, quite a lot of, um, wisdom. I'm going to be taking that, um, to the bank with me and my next time I'm praying for God's will to make sure not only that he opens the doors and where to go, that he closes them as well. Um, Rick, would you be able to share an amazing moment or story um, during your time overseas that kind of comes to the front of your mind when sharing about what happened overseas when you're in the different countries? Maybe maybe one of your favorites. I'd love to hear. Okay. Yeah, one of my favorite stories to tell is about uh, meeting with the underground church in China. Uh, we had the opportunity to uh, meet with underground Christians several times while we were there. And uh we were there with them one Sunday afternoon after um, a few hours of Bible study and that sort of thing. And then we entered a time of prayer. And one of the Chinese Christians came up to me during that time of prayer and she was weeping. She was just weeping. And uh, so I asked her uh, what what was wrong? What could I help her with? What could I pray for? And uh, she said, I, I'm I'm repenting because she said, I feel so badly she said i've only been able to pray about three hours today and she said i just feel like i'm so far from god and i just you know you you just look at these 
Chinese Christians who literally take their life into their hands every day uh, by proclaiming Jesus and serving Jesus publicly, and they do publicly. Um, and you wonder, how did they do that? Well, here's a here's a young lady who is feeling badly that she didn't pray four or five hours. She only prayed three hours. And I don't think it's about the time limit that you pray, but I do think um, that shows an enormous amount of dedication to not only speaking with the Lord, but listening to the Lord. You know, most of us like to talk to him, but we don't like to listen to him. Um, And it's kind of like, I I wonder sometimes if God says, if you just be quiet a few minutes, I'll tell you what I want you to Mm. do. But we talk through it. And uh, we don't give him an opportunity to talk because we don't listen to him. And believe me, what he's got to say to us is a whole lot more important than what we've got to say to him. Mm, that's so good. Uh, because he, he because he already knows what we need. He already knows what's on our heart. Uh, speaking to him is just a way of opening up the channel of communication, hopefully so that he could speak to us. It's so important to rest and wait for an answer, isn't it? Because yes, um, yes. even the Bible says, you know, those who have ears, let them hear. It's one of the things that Jesus said. And um, it's like, oh, I, uh, what does he mean by that? And it's like, oh, well, I've, I can definitely picture conversations I've had with uh, friends and family when you're talking to them and they just keep butting in and you're trying to share something with them and they keep jumping in and, and it gets very frustrating. And, and you can't talk. You have to go silent when when people keep talking to you. So obviously God would be doing the same thing. He would just wait yeah. and wait for you to stop. And if you're praying for three hours straight, it could be a long silence. <laughs> yes. Yeah. That doesn't mean we're talking for three hours, but we're in communication for three hours. Mm. And so uh, I think I think that's conversation with God is one of the things that uh, I think so many of us miss. That's one of the things I missed in my younger years after uh, I first believed in Jesus was I, you know, I prayed and I negotiated with him and tried to to get him to do what I wanted him to do. But I, I didn't understand that prayer was a conversation and it's mm. a two-way conversation. And we have to yeah. listen. Um, we have to hear what God has to say to us. That's where we get our instructions. That's where we get our marching orders for the day. Mm. And if we don't listen, we'll, we'll leave our prayer time as confused and bewildered as we entered it. And uh, I don't think that's God's will. Yeah. So prayer is one of the fundamental aspects of walking as a Christian. And that's something that you've learned um, over 50 years of ministry. Um, when you when people are praying, I'm just thinking for maybe some of our listeners might be going, I pray every day, but I can never get those orders. I can I can never hear what God's saying. Could there be a reason for that or something that people could do to, I like what you said earlier, um, that the sometimes the quieter you get and the more that you pray and fast, the louder he can get. Um, so is there anything that you could do uh, or suggest to our listeners that might be feeling uh, a silence of God um, and they're not sure why? Yeah, um, I've talked to lots of people over the years who said, I just don't hear God. I, I, I don't I don't hear him like other people hear him. Um, and, and I think that's a common problem. I think it's a common complaint. And I think I think there's several different answers for that. One is um, I think for some people, God speaks very quietly. We, we see in the um, in the scriptures where uh, the prophet says, you know, I looked for him in the lightning. He wasn't there. Mm. I looked for him in the thunder and he wasn't there. And so I think a lot of times we're the thunder and lightning kind of people, especially if we tend toward being an emotional, demonstrative kind of person, uh, or if our worship style is very loud and boisterous, I think we expect God to be the same way with us and to kind of shout out his orders. Uh, but he doesn't always do that. The prophet went on to say uh, he's in that still, small, quiet voice. So mm. sometimes I think there's so much background noise uh, in our life that we he's speaking, but we, we just don't hear him. I think another issue is, uh, you know, I was raised in the age when uh, radios had a dial and you, you know, it wasn't digital. It was all analog. And so you had to turn a dial and and tune in the station, kind of like someone might do on a shortwave radio. Um, and if you if you could get it tuned in exactly to the right station, it was very clear. But if you were just off a little bit, uh, it would immediately go to static, and it was hard to understand. 
So I think some of it for us is is learning to tune into the right frequency for God. Uh, and that means tuning some other frequencies out, but it also means honing in and focusing on uh, the, the things that amplify God's voice. Mm. Um, I think there are things that we could do in our life that amplify his voice and make it clearer to us. Um, and, you know, they're just the expected things, spending time in his presence and mm. resting in him and uh, quoting scripture and uh, reading uh, devotionals about him and and fasting and prayer is just such an important part of what uh, a believer needs to be active in so that they're tuning in always to that frequency to hear God. Um, and if you're not hearing God, then I would suggest that you change a little something. Maybe maybe there's just a, a slight turn of the dial that needs to happen in your life. I've met people who couldn't hear God. And when I really started to delve in and counsel with them, what I found is uh, there's something in their life that is a barrier uh, that is causing that frequency not to come in clearly. Maybe there's some uh, secret sin or maybe there's some uh, addiction that they have uh, or maybe there's some, uh, maybe it's very innocent. They've, they've been reading uh, books that are um, contrary to God's will, that are leading them astray, that are causing them to think in patterns that they shouldn't. And it doesn't take very much of the turn of the dial to kind of make it so that God's voice isn't clear. Mm. And then I think there are sometimes, Joel, when it's just the season when God, you know, for 400 years between the Old Testament and the New Testament, God was silent. Mm. And I think there are periods of time in our life where God waits until we're ready to hear what he has to say. Uh, our heart is hungry for him. There have been times in my life when I waited for God to speak and I wanted to hear him speak so badly. And when he finally did speak, what I heard him say was, I've been waiting for you to want me to speak to you this bad, this badly. And once once you get to that point and you're desperate for God, there was a, a worship song a few years ago. I'm desperate for you. I'm desperate for you. I'm desperate for you. And, and I think that's where we have to get. If we really want to hear God, we have to be desperate for him. Mm. That's a really good answer. And the Bible says to um, to those who diligently seek me will find yes, me. Yes. And um, yes. Is a, that's, I love that key word, diligently. So with everything constantly, um, and then you're saying that to be in a constant state of prayer, even when it's silent, devotionals, even when it's silent, um, going to church, even when God's voice is silent, and to be constantly, diligently seeking him where he could be, um, even though he's everywhere, but seeking his voice where you could hear it is very key. And then one of the yeah. other things is to be constantly in the word of God. And um, that will allow, when you do hear God's voice, that you do know it's his voice. Um, one of the a, a great little story to help our listeners that might might be struggling with this is, is the story of the bank manager. And um, when uh, bank uh, tellers, when they look at that, the way that they know that money is counterfeit money is they study the real thing. They study the actual dollar. And then when anything that comes in that's not a real dollar, it sticks out and they realize to not use that. So when you're studying the real thing of God's word and then when you do hear maybe some direction to go left or right, it will fit in with that constant study of being in the Word of God. And that way you'll know this is the real thing. This is his voice. This is where I need to go. And sometimes it's a door opening and sometimes it's a door closing. So that's right. very, very cool. Um, I would love to hear, Rick, about your 2,770-mile walk across the States. <laughs> <laughs> Were you just bored one day? What happened? <laughs> uh, well, actually, we were we were traveling around America uh, in full time evangelism, and uh, I was preaching a series everywhere we went on reclaiming America. And so each night was a different thing: reclaiming our lives, reclaiming our families, reclaiming our churches, reclaiming our cities, reclaiming our nation. And so uh, I was studying one night in Joshua chapter one, verse three. I was in a room all by myself. And I read that verse that says, every place you put the sole of your foot, you can claim. Mm. And I heard a voice. Now, I don't know if anybody else, if they had been in the room, had 
what they heard the voice i don't know but i heard it i it was so real to me that i turned to see who was in the room with me nobody there and uh i heard this voice say do you believe that and uh, i looked back down at the scripture and i read it again to myself and and again i heard the voice do you believe that so it started this conversation with god and i where i said yeah i believe it he says do you believe the principle and i looked at it again the principle of what every place you put the sole of your foot you can claim for me and i said well it's in your word so yes i i believe it i, I take it by faith he says well what do you want to claim and i said well you know what i want to claim i want to claim our country he said, then put the sole of your foot down. I said, how much of it? He said, how much do you want to claim? I said, all of it. He said, then go from one <laughs> side to the other. And that's how it started. It took me uh, a few weeks uh, to get up the nerve to share this with my wife. Uh, we were not athletes of any kind. Uh, we had never probably walked more than a mile or two in our life. And so we spent a whole year training. We visited shoe stores and talked to people who'd done long distance walking and running and uh, we got all kinds of equipment. We walked 1,500 miles the year before the walk across America, getting ourselves ready. And then on January 1st, we began at Santa Monica Pier uh, in California and walked 20 miles a day, six days a week for six months. And we crossed the bridge from Virginia into Washington, D.C. on July 4th. Uh, we actually talked uh, to thousands of people across America. Uh, we uh, talked to them about Jesus. We talked about them uh, about what they needed. We prayed with them. We met homeless people. We met people living under bridges. We walked through five Native American reservations. We routed ourselves through every major city that we could so that we could meet the people living on the streets. And when we made this walk, we thought it was about the steps. We thought it was about uh, us walking from one side to the other. And that was certainly a part of it. But what we found out it wasn't about the steps nearly as much as it was about the stops. The steps just connected the stops. We met every kind of person you can imagine. We were able to lead people to Jesus right on the streets uh, in California and Arkansas and different places across America. Uh, we prayed for thousands of people. Uh, we were received uh, unbelievably uh, by people who of course, had never met us that we didn't know. Uh, they welcomed us. Our, our most favorite place was West Memphis, Arkansas. Uh, it was a, a whole large city community, uh, West Memphis and Memphis of mostly African-American people. And uh, uh, a lot of people would stop and say, you shouldn't be in this neighborhood. And we just keep walking. We never felt threatened by human beings. We always felt welcomed. Uh, we were hugged and kissed and all kinds of things as we shared Jesus with people. And I think they just wanted to know somebody loved them enough to come to where they were and share the message of Jesus. Mm. And uh, it was a life transforming experience. We we were never the same, have never been the same after the walk. We prayed God would give us the eyes of Jesus as we met people. And I always tell people, don't ever pray that prayer unless you want your life to be radically changed. Because all of a sudden you can't see people the same way you used to see them. Uh, you'll see them in a completely different light. You'll see them the way Jesus did, and your heart will go out to them, yeah. and you'll do whatever you have to to be able to get the message of Jesus to them and tell them the good news of the gospel. Amen. Wow, that's amazing. I love that. I mean, it wouldn't be quite as impressive walking across from east to west of New Zealand because it's um, <laughs> tiny. be like one of the states. <laughs> but that is uh, an amazing journey that you've been able to do. Um, so the motivation to do that was pretty much just you reading the Bible and hearing God say, do you believe that? Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. And I, I always tell people uh, 50 years ago when my wife and I got married, uh, we made a commitment to each other. We both said to each other, you need to know, you need to understand that I will always love you second best. Jesus will always be my first love. And we agreed on that. Second thing we said is we told God, our answer is always yes. It will always be yes, no matter what you ask. So God, we're telling you that our answer is yes before you ever ask the question. I think most of us treat God like we do our best friend who comes in and says, will you do me a favor? And we say, what is it before, before we answer? Uh, we want to know what the, what the favor is before we commit to do it. Well, a lot of people treat God that way. God says, I have something for you to do. And we say, well, what is it? Uh, but 
we don't play that game with God. We told God the answer is yes. doesn't matter if it's walk across America, if it's walk across the street, if it's go to China or if it's go to Skid Row. Uh, we told God whatever the question, whatever the call, we we already had said yes. And my belief is that God uses people who will always say yes and that he knows will always say yes to do extraordinary things. Mm. Um, I've seen it in my life. I've seen him work miracles. Uh, I mean, he has just... He has blessed my wife and I with such a, an enormously satisfying life, just living to share the gospel with people. And uh, I know that's happened because God already knew our answer was going to be yes, no matter what he asked us to do. That's awesome. It's like living with the kingship mindset that God isn't just, um, like you said, your best friend, but the almost the revelation that he's king. And he's king of the universe. Yes. So, like, if if you had the king of England or the president of the United States ask you to do something, you wouldn't be like, oh, I'll we'll just see if my schedule's like free that day. But, you know, <laughs> you would probably say yes before they've even finished their sentence. And um, out of a, out of a reverence, out of a, a respect for the um, the title, he's king of the universe. So, having yes. a heart to receive the commands from him is absolutely key. So I love hearing that, um, and that's yeah. definitely going, all the listeners are going to be like, oh, no, I'm hearing God's voice, and he's asked me to do something, now I have to do it. And it's like, well, we, that's a good attitude to have. And if that's something yes. that we need to change our heart on, that's a good thing. Um, yes. So how has your faith uh, evolved and deepened over the years as you've served in various ministry um, roles and that you've traveled to the different parts of the world? So how's that affected your faith? Has it always deepened it every time? Um, one way or the other, it's deepened it. Um, and, uh, you know, I think we have the opportunity every day that everything that happens to us will either draw us closer to God or push us away from God. And, then, and that's our choice. Um, and so as we've walked with Jesus all these years, what we've seen is we certainly haven't walked a perfect path. We, we haven't uh, done everything exactly right. But what we've seen is that God has always been faithful. Um, it's kind of like when David fights Goliath, what he remembers is the bear and the lion that he killed in the shepherd's field. And that gives him the confidence and the faith to take on Goliath. And so a life of faith is remembering that what God yesterday did in our life and knowing that he'll do something that good or better today. Uh, and then tomorrow we can remember what he did today. And, and that's the steps that we take as a Christian is building a, a wall of faith in our life based on what he did the day before, what he did yesterday, what he's going to do tomorrow. And we keep trusting him for that. And we keep walking in that. And so even the times when we disobey, even those times when we miss it, and everybody does from time to time, God is such a gracious God that he will even use what we think of as failures. He'll even use those missteps, those those times we missed it. He'll even use those um, to bring faith and, and to heal us and to put us back uh, on the right path so that we can go on. Well, I was raised in a uh, denomination in a church that kind of taught, boy, if you messed up too many times, God will put you on a shelf. He'll never use you again. Uh, I don't know what that limit is, but I haven't uh, spent it yet, evidently, because God keeps using me, even though uh, I've misstepped and, and made mistakes along the way. He keeps dusting me off and saying, you're my son. I'm not going to disown you. Uh, I want to use you. I know your heart's right. And yeah, you made a mistake. And yeah, you you didn't shouldn't have done this or you shouldn't have done it this way. Uh, but I love you and I'm going to use you anyway. Mm. And so he, he puts me right back out on the front line again and he uses me. And so to me, that's faith building because I know, hey, I'm going to do my very best today to be what God wants me to be. But even if I mess up, I know he's still going to use me tomorrow. Mm. I know he isn't going to cut me off. I know he's not going to put me aside in favor of somebody else. He's going to keep using me to do his will and his work. That's so good. That is uh, the one of the best um, sort of ways to think of when God wants to use you um, to be ready to be used, be in a constant state of readiness. Um <clears throat> In your experience with now that you've gone around the whole world um, and seen God move in different areas, you probably went to different churches. Um, what's your thoughts on living life as a Christian when it comes to going to church every week um, 
And is there things that us churchgoers can do more for the gospel that you think is uh, very clear biblically, a biblical command um, for the Sunday churchgoer Christians? Is there any sort of challenges that actually edify our Christian walk that you could suggest we do? Sure. Well, first of all, I think um, worship with a local body, with a local church uh, family is super important. And, and I believe in it. We do it. My wife and I go, um, not because we have to, but because we desire to be with God's people and we desire to worship corporately with them. So I believe in that. And I also believe that God um, wants us to do that. And there, there are lots of advantages we could talk about that come through that. But I think it's really, really important. I think, uh, you know, the, I'll say this. The church is deeply flawed mm. all right, because it's full of deeply flawed people. Uh, and so... The church is never going to be perfect uh, here on earth. We're never going to find a church where, you know, the pastor is perfect and the people are perfect and the programs are perfect and, you know, the music is perfect. We're not going to find that here. Um, and so if we're looking for that, we're, we're probably going to be disappointed over and over again. So the church is flawed. We we know that. We get that going in. Uh, but so are we. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is a flawed person going into a group of other flawed people whose desire it is to worship God, to learn more about him, to fellowship and become a family more and more each week. And that's important. Mm. I think the pitfall for me was, and and I think so many people that I've known over the years, is to think that church is enough. Okay, so I punch in on Sunday morning, I punch out on Mm. Sunday afternoon, kind of like a time clock. And I think, okay, I've done my duty for the week. And now I'm done until next Sunday morning. And I think that kind of mindset robs us of the abundant life that Christ has for us. It robs us of the missionary opportunities that we have. It robs us of the daily victories that God wants to give us. Mm. And so we can't ever think of church as the be all and end all, that it's a complete solution. It is certainly part of what we need. It's that encouragement, that recharge that we need together with God's people. And I believe we should do that. But we leave that church building or that gathering in the home church or wherever we happen to worship. We leave that place understanding that it's not done yet. It's not over. This was just the beginning of the week, not the end of the week. So mm. I'm going to use everything that happened during this worship time and a time of exhortation and time of learning God's word and, 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 and praying with other believers. I'm going to use that as a springboard into the rest of the week. Um, and so uh, that I think is a is a real danger for church people, mm-hmm. um, and I think it, it kind of explains some of the uh, kickback there's been against the church because there are so many people who go to church and then there is a disconnect between what happens to them on Sunday morning and what happens in their lives the rest of the week, and the world sees that they see that disconnect, they see that hypocrisy, they see that inconsistency, and so many times that causes people who don't know Christ to be turned off to Christ and to not want to be a part of us is, you know, the statistics show that there's not a great deal of difference in the social values of people who go to church and people who don't go to church. And so that's a travesty. That is tragic. There ought to be a huge difference between those of us who are following Jesus Mm. and the rest of the world. But when the world doesn't see a difference, then their attitude is, why should I want Jesus? Why should I want what you have, what you proclaim? It doesn't seem to make any difference in your life. You get just as upset, just as discouraged, just as frustrated as I do. So why do I need Jesus? So what we get on Sunday or whenever we worship, that that's important, but it's not the end. Uh, it's just uh, the diving board into the rest of the week. You know, when you when you dive off a diving board into a pool, it's not what happens on the diving board uh, that is the total experience. It's what happens when you hit the water. I had a I had a church member once who said, it's not how high you jump on Sunday. It's how you walk when you hit the ground on Monday. And I think that is just That's good. so wise. That's so yeah. good. Wow. And I jump and I jump pretty high on Sunday, uh, <laughs> you know, but I want to make sure when I land, I land and walk straight. Mm, so good. Um, is there any um, other amazing testimonies that I think that you know, I mean that you think that would uh, help our listeners that you would like to share with us before I get into some of the closing questions? Uh, yeah, I want to tell a real quick story. We were when we were walking across America, we were in Winslow, Arizona, and we encountered a young uh, Native American uh, man there, 
And uh, he was standing at a memorial, kind of a welcome to Winslow sign that had two big beams. And uh, uh, we walked up to him and he was crying, tears rolling down his cheeks. And um, I said, what's wrong? Is there something we can help you with, something we can pray with you about? He said, I was just remembering. Turns out that this young man was sent to New York City after the World Trade Centers were bombed. And uh, he was sent there to clean up the debris, to sift through the debris and find bodies and body parts. And he was standing there in those two beams, which were from the World Trade Center and remembering that. So we had a long conversation. His name was Rick, like mine, shared the gospel with him, told him about Jesus. When we got ready to leave, uh, I said, is there anything else you need? He said, I'm really hungry. And there was a truck stop across the street uh, that I knew had a big buffet, a big place to eat. And so uh, I said, let's go over there and I'll buy your lunch. So on, on the way, he said, they won't let me eat inside because I'm homeless and because I'm an Indian. I said, well, let's just go see. So I walked in and I told the cashier, I want to buy my friend Rick the lunch. And uh, as I was reaching for my wallet, she reached under the counter to get one of those white styrofoam to go container. And I said, no, ma'am, he wants to eat inside just like everybody else. So I stayed long enough for him to get his food, sit down at a table, made sure he was eating before I slipped out. When we got home from the walk, I was sharing that story one day at a church that was having communion. And um, uh, the person who was praying, uh, the elder who was praying for the prayer after that story said, God, I thank you that your table, there are no to-go containers. And I thought, man, that is so powerful. Uh, there are no to-go containers with God. Uh, my place at the table isn't any wider than anybody else's. Uh, everybody else's name is written on that placard just like my name is. It, it just takes a, a decision, a choice on our part uh, to sit down at the table and enjoy what God has for us, to, to ask for forgiveness and to uh, allow God to pour out his grace and mercy on our life and transform us and change us. And, and it doesn't matter who we are. And I think that kind of encapsulates what the walk was about for us is God showing us that every person is valuable in my sight. When you see people the way he sees them, you realize that they're all valuable. They all need the gospel. There's nobody past redemption. Uh, we are all uh, able to be reached with the love of God. And that is encouraging me. That's what keeps me going is yeah. knowing that the next person down the road needs to hear the gospel and God loves them with all of his heart. Amen. Amen. That is so good. Um, is there any uh, advice or encouragement uh, that you could offer somebody seeking a life dedicated to sharing Jesus? And what would be that advice? Yeah, just uh, whoever you are and whatever you naturally do, whatever God has gifted you to do, use that gift um, to share Jesus with people. Uh, people would never know it uh, because I've learned to be what I call a functioning introvert, but I am a profound introvert. <laughs> Left to my own <laughs> devices, I would probably never leave the house, but God has uh, stretched me and enabled me to have a ministry and to encounter people. I go out in public and I just turn on and, and everything's different, but it wasn't always like that. For years, I, I, I couldn't get very vocal about the gospel, so I would make up great big signs on cardboard, maybe three foot by two foot, that just said, Jesus loves you. God loves you. Jesus is praying for you. And I go out near the biggest highway I could find. And I just hold up the sign uh, as people were getting on the interstate. I didn't have to speak a word. I just held up a sign. And uh, so whatever God has enabled you, um, talented you, gifted you to do, use that to share the gospel. And here's what I found. When I would hold up that sign, there was a boldness that came after I would do that. And all of a sudden, I could take the next step. And I could share just a little bit. I could give my testimony just a little bit. And God has turned me into this guy that you just can't shut up about <laughs> Jesus. Um, but it came out of obedience, one step at a time. So take the little steps, uh, do what you can, and God will enable you to do the next thing and keep sharing. And he'll make an evangelist out of you if you're willing to be made into one. I love that. I love how you said um, the boldness comes after you lift up the sign. And that's so true, yeah. absolutely true. I remember the first time um, that I decided, this is um, like 15 years ago, that I decided to put up a scripture on my Facebook feed. And I was so <laughs> nervous about it. But it was the you're right, the boldness came after I hit post. And um, yeah. it sounds like a you know pretty easy thing to do these days but back when it was the first time I'd ever stepped out publicly with my faith 
it was a big deal for me. But it creates yes. a domino effect where boldness brings more boldness and it develops yes. you as a as a person, as a character. Um, in all areas of your life as well, you can become bold, not just in ministry work, but um, it almost trains you to just be a bold person in everything that you do, and God will use you in doing that. Um, so also, Rick, how can our listeners connect with you or your ministry, um, and if they would like to learn more or get involved or even supporting you in what you're doing for your ministry, what would be a way for them to touch base with you? Yeah, easiest way to do that is through our website. Uh, there's lots of information there. Matter of fact, you can go there and see pictures of us in Tibet and China and India, all different mission trips that we've taken. Uh, I write a blog and it's on there. Um, it's rickandjanemckinney.com. Very easy, rickandjanemckinney.com. Awesome. And we have lots of things going on. One of the things we're doing right now, Joe, I got to tell you about this real quick. Uh, we've written a children's book about the walk. And our goal is, that we're going to put 500 copies of that in doctor's offices where children are so that as they're waiting to see the doctor, they can read this little book that presents the gospel to them. If they're already a Christian, it encourages them to share Jesus with their friends. And so we thought, where's a place that we can we can saturate with the gospel? So we're doing it with 500 pediatricians first, and then we're going to go to children's hospitals and do it. And so we're always... God's always giving us new ways to share the gospel, new places to infiltrate with the gospel. And so they can see all that stuff online, rickandjanemckinney.com. And we would love to communicate. They can contact us. I'll be glad to talk to them. We'll we'll do anything. They can invite us to come uh, and we'll come even to New Zealand. Matter of fact, my wife would probably enjoy that. <laughs> Please come. <laughs> Very much. But, but we will we will do anything uh, to share the gospel within uh, the means that God gives us to do it. Awesome, awesome. And um, I'll be sure to put a uh, link in the description below. So don't feel you have to memorize or write it down. Just go to the description below and we'll make sure that that website is there, easy to find. Um, in closing, um, what could you tell us of your favorite Bible verse or passage that's guided you through your life and ministry and explain its significance to you? Yeah, it it, it sounds very cliche and I know it belongs to a lot of people's heart, uh, but it's Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. What I found out a long time ago, Joel, is I can do a very limited amount in my own strength, uh, but I can do the impossible with God's strength. And that's the walk across America. We could never have made it. My wife had horrible blisters and difficulties physically, and every day she felt like God carried her uh, from one place to the next. And and that's what happens when you put your faith and your trust in him as he enables you to do all things through Christ. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you for joining us, Rick, on the Jesus Magnet podcast. You're an amazing man of God. And I just pray that God continues to work with your ministry and um, that as you hear his voice, it's very clear. It's very loud. It's tuned in very accurately to the right radio station and that you continue to walk with your incredible passion for Jesus that it is so infectious for everybody uh, listening here and yeah we just hope that you continue to walk so faithfully so thank you Rick for joining us thank on you. this episode of the Jesus Magnet thanks for listening to this episode of the Jesus Magnet podcast if you enjoyed this make sure that you connect with us find us on Facebook on Instagram and if you want to support us be a member of our coffee club, Jesus Magnet Coffee Club. See you next time on the Jesus Magnet.